The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So before we move on to cover some of the nuts and bolts of the class, just in terms of the guided meditation, just making this, I mean, the whole point of these Buddhist studies classes, not so much the study, the teachings as a philosophy, but really understanding these teachings as a skillful means. So we want to understand that having a refuge, you know, understanding what that might even mean to you, like to have a refuge, and to keep it in mind, because it actually has an effect on our life, how things unfold for us. So to whatever degree your sitting time had a purpose, an aspiration, then now, at the end of the set, would be a good time to have a sense like, did having maybe just a little bit more clarity, a little bit more sense of like, what am I doing? What am I aspiring toward? Was there a practical effect of having clarified the aspiration? And the same thing with Tuesday. That will show up pretty quick. You know, and you're there in bed or maybe you get up and you do a sit. Right? And some of us, you know, some of the more traditional types in the room, we might actually do the formal, you know, refuge, maybe the refuge and precept recitation in our mind silently or out loud if we're alone or some version of it, you know, depending on the person. So that we're taking some time and we're clarifying, oh yeah, these are my values. This is like when I gaze over my life as a sort of cumulative fruit of that having lived this life, these values have arisen, have been distilled in the process of living my life. And they th- now in this moment, in my morning set, arise as like, I trust these values. I aspire to live with this value or these values. And it <clears throat> that clarity, you know, in the you know relatively simple time there in the morning before the day gets really in motion, then we can solidify or establish that in the mind. So then, hopefully then more often during the day, we'll remember. I mean, if you wanted to go from here to New York City, you know, you would... You'd, you'd use pretty good technology and to sort of keep the goal in mind. You wouldn't just sort of take off and start walking or driving or flying. You'd, you'd kind of like, oh yeah, LaGuardia or, you know, 94 East, not 94 West. You'd think about it. You'd, and then you'd check periodically, like, am I actually getting closer to New York City? And that's a pretty mundane thing, like to get from here to home or from here to New York City. Or, But living our life, that's hopefully more meaningful than some specific place we're trying to get to, like to get from common ground to home or to get from my house to my friend's house or to get from home to work. And it's just interesting. I mean, I think uh, one of the reasons we don't pay that much attention to refuge is, and I think it's embarrassing to us, humiliating maybe even, we're not often very clear, like, what is the point of this life? What is, what would be a worthy and appropriate intention, aspiration for this life? A lot of it, a lot of us, you know, having been raised the way that we were raised and maybe more traditional, 
you know, churches, synagogues, mosques, whatever it is, the church of secular humanism, <laughs> you know, whatever it might have been, where there was sort of a, a more like, this is the truth. And so <clears throat> maybe rightfully even we've stepped back from that demand from our parents or from our culture, like, oh, this is true, unquestionably true, just believe it. But the alternative of thinking it doesn't matter, you know, like to live our life without a rudder, as if, you know, just to kind of think about the opposite of having an aspiration, having a refuge, to be sort of living our life rudderless, and just sort of getting attracted to whatever we happen to be attracted to in the moment. Oh, I'll, I'll seek this out today. You know, I'll try, you know, my life will be about having a good lunch today. <laughs> and then after lunch is over, you know, my aspiration is to have good digestion <laughs> and later a good bowel movement. And then, you know, something on TV. And, you know, whatever. So when we say it out loud, of course, that doesn't make sense to us. So part of our purpose in this class is to realize that we have this option. I mean, no one's going to make us do it. But we have this option to experiment with a rudder. You know, it's just like, and, you know, and a steady relaxed way to kind of realize we have a hand on a rudder. Like we have this option to steer this life in a particular direction. Or if you like better the metaphor, to keep planting seeds that have a particular nature to become something. Instead of randomly planting whatever seed shows up in our mind, oh, I think I'll plant a seed of aversion or a seed of fear, or a plant a seed of lust, or a plant a seed of distraction or denial or whatever it might be. And then I'll just, I guess, I'll just get the fruits of whatever seeds I've been planting. And I'll just work with it, I'll deal with it when they come. Because we could be, I mean, you can see how we could definitely overdo it and get really neurotic and controlling about like, wanting to become fully enlightened or wanting to become the most calm person in the world or the kindest person, you know. But the thing is, you know, part of what we're cultivating with refuge, it's not a one-time thing where, you know, we lock in, like as soon as we get these driverless cars, you know, you sort of lock in the destination, put in the coordinates, and then you're done. I mean, the taking refuge, having an aspiration, it's a moment-to-moment thing, right? We're, and we're learning as we go, planting seeds or aiming in a particular way, and then we live with the consequences of that aspiration, and we adapting, adjusting, tweaking what is important. And hopefully this class will be valuable in that way. One of the things that we really learn in our meditation practice is the power of intention. It's really, uh, I think it's one of those things that um, we generally really underestimate how important intention is. It can be misunderstood, like there's some books out there, like The Secret, I haven't read it, but this idea that if we want success, we just somehow intend that or um, you know, set that intention in the mind but uh, it's really about understanding what the Buddha calls karma, understanding cause and effect, or understanding how it all works. 
And, and the thing that we realize is that we're sort of creating our path, we're creating our life moment by moment by moment. And so part of this teaching on taking refuge is really a deepening understanding of karma and really uh, taking responsibility for living in this world that's conditional. And then one of the forces in this conditional unfolding, like the way it unfolds, is intention in the mind. And then what shapes our intention? Well, some understanding about refuge or aspiration or our deepest value, what's important. That shapes, that understanding of intent of aspiration shapes the kinds of intentions that we have, like how we drive our car or how we put our clothes on in the morning or how we eat our food or how we interact with other people or how we train our mind, the way we direct or shape our attitudes, the kind of attitudes or ways of relating that get developed, supported, the kind of attitudes that don't get watered, don't get reinforced because they're not in alignment with our intention, our aspiration. So the first question to reflect on, let's do, I'll give you a little silence to do this, is this comes from Jana Ponika Tara, who was a very well-known Western Buddhist monk in Sri Lanka for a number of decades. He's dead now. And he, uh, uh, when you go to the Buddhist Studies webpage, uh, his article chapter in his book on the three refuges is there. You can read this. And one of the questions he asks is, is this world of ours really such a place of danger and misery that there is need for taking refuge? So just reflect on that for a few minutes. Is this world of ours really such a place of danger and misery that there is need for taking refuge? Is it okay to live our life rudderless? Like would we, could we accidentally float, migrate towards some real danger, some real hellish experience in life? Do we need a rudder? Do we need an intention, an aspiration? And this is an especially interesting question. If you happen to be having a life that's relatively easy, relatively privileged, relatively comfortable, feels relatively safe for you right now. You might need to skillfully use imagination that whatever comfort, whatever privilege, whatever health you have, affluence you have to realize things change, you know, that it's, we don't know, we just know what the way it is now, we don't know how things might unfold, but we can know that we don't know. Any response to this first question? In this world of ours, is there, is this world of ours really such a place of danger and misery that there is need for taking refuge? What do we mean by refuge? What do we bring to that concept? And depending upon how we define it, is there in reality, is there refuge? Yeah, that's, those questions are coming. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> but the, the first question, even before, like, what is a refuge, is 
as we look at our life, right, our existential situation and just our physical situation, our social situation, our community situation, (coughs) is there a need for refuge? Do we need, or can do you feel like whatever's in motion in your life, both in the very kind of intimate, like internal, in your mind, in your body, and then in the sort of communities and the situations you inhabit, is there need for a refuge? Is there enough trust, safety in your situation? So you don't need a refuge, or do you need a refuge? Hi, you want to respond to that? We'll take a couple, and then we'll go to these other questions that Lewis was pointing to. When I think of the word refuge, I think of it in many different ways, though, too. You know, refuge could be thought of as a physical place, but it also, for me, is a place of when things aren't right or things aren't going the way that I do I remember where that refuge is, from where do I come? In other words, is it a base more than a place? Is it a base of um, what do I believe, what do I need to do, what is my intention? You know, because that's what... So, yes, for me, when I was living without a refuge, things just haphazardly would happen, and I would have no, like, well, why did that happen, or how come that's going on? So I think that in, in... least from the perspective that I'm coming from, refuge is helpful and because it gives me a base of where to start from if things are going here or there, and hopefully they're going less here and there because I have my base. Yeah, thanks, Haya. How about one more response to that? Yeah, Greta, you want to do that? In this world of ours... Is this world of ours really such a place of danger and misery that there is need for taking refuge? I'm not worried about danger and misery. I'm worried about false happiness. As someone who... That sounds dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's if you recognize it as false happiness. Um, There's so much offered to us in a first world country of what will promise you everything. Clothes, food, car, success, the right mate. For those of us at a certain age, a facelift. (laughs) Uh, All of this will make you happy, that's the promise. And um, it's so fleeting. This, yeah. So that's where it's, there has to be something more. I can relate to that. I mean, putting it in what I heard Greta say in my own words, it's like, I, I want a refuge, I want a protection from ending up betrayed by a false promise, right? Yeah, I can, I can really feel that. So the next question is, does such a refuge exist? So if upon assessing our situation as a human being with a body, with a heart and mind, with a life, with relationship, if we have a sense that, that it's possible to be betrayed, it's possible to be adrift, it's possible to be in danger in this life, okay, so that it would be nice to have a refuge. And then the question is, does such a refuge exist? So who would like to respond to that? Just from your own experience, does such a refuge exist? Thoughts? Yeah, Zinzalai, want to pass the mic over? Just hand by hand, take turns. Um, so to like answer the question, when I think of a refuge, and I was trying to figure it out, like because what it initially comes to mind is like a cave or a dark safe space. Um, 
But then what also comes to mind is like routine. So like when I was growing up in um, St. Louis, like I live with my grandmother and my great aunts and we were like right in the middle of a really um, in a neighborhood that was undergoing kind of decay. So you can actually see block by block the the decay getting closer and closer. There was, um, you know, just a, a lot of violence. I remember in a third grade third or fourth grade I saw a woman a pregnant woman she actually got stabbed while we were watching Easter you know those what else Easter shows they used to have on like those biblical Moses or something yeah. it was some kind of <laughs> biblical we were watching it for like three hours on the TV and then someone screamed in front of our house and then there was this woman who had been stabbed and I remember seeing the blood and all that but in any case the refuge was with my grandmothers was doing the same thing every day or eating you know, particular kinds of meals and the smells and the routine, which made it feel safe to the extent that we like to the, you know, to the extent that we could. But And when say, for instance, when I was living in California, my mother worked all the time. I was actually more afraid, even though the neighborhood was, I guess, somewhat safer, but the lack of routine, the lack of um, the food being cooked at a certain time every day and people coming and going in the house at the same time every day, it was actually much more frightening to me as a young person than it was in this other space. So, so yeah. So, yeah. so I say refuge is a place, but it's actually a, re- it's a routine or if it's like a purpose, it's like you keep coming back to that purpose to, like you say, the rudder part. So it's steering you in a particular direction. No, I, I think a lot of us will relate to that. And just on a, a, a very straightforward level, this is what generally impresses us, it, whether you're the one who has established routines in your life and stick to them, and they're relatively wholesome routines, you can find on a relative level some real safety, some real comfort in that. And we're impressed by people who live in an orderly way, generally. I mean, as long as they're not too tight about it, you know, just that they've got, they've really thought their life through, they follow through, they're disciplined in that way. And it, and it's really, uh, it can't even be a thing of beauty, you know, people who, have these very well thought through routines. Maybe not an ultimate refuge, like it's interesting in the Buddhist tradition, one of the characteristics of somebody who's had deep insight, something called stream entry, is that they no longer are attached to rites and rituals. They no longer see rites and rituals as a cause for ultimate safety or ultimate freedom. Right, But the reason that's, I think, pointed out is because prior to deep insight, having a well-organized life is one of the ways to create some, it's a still not perfectly stable, but some basic meaning and safety in our lives. It's like our religion is doing the same thing, you know, that's worked well enough and sticking with it because it's worked well enough. But then things change, you know, inevitably. Kids grow up or the neighborhood changes as you were talking about or, and for whatever reason, the rituals have to change as well. Yeah, you wanna respond to that same thing? So does such a refuge exist? I had experience last week when I was meditating that, um, uh, that wh- who I really am is that awareness itself, and it runs through everyone and everything. And that my thoughts are really just this phenomenon. I know you've heard it a million times, but you really have to have this experience, and then you, your whole perspective changes. So I saw that my thoughts were just little, like, fireworks. They, a thought comes up, it explodes, and then it fades back down. But what's always there is that stillness and that awareness. And that's 
our home. And yet this play is also part of our home, too, I think, this, the phenomena that comes out of the awareness. Um, but now I can't take my life so seriously, my thoughts, because I realize I also had the awareness that you think they're like dominoes. You have a thought, and if there's some space between the dominoes, the domino just falls down and doesn't hit the next domino. So you don't create a sense of self. But if there isn't any space, you have a thought, and then you have another thought, another thought, and it's domino, 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 then you have boom, 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 and you have a self. But it's not really the truth. It's just an optical illusion. Yeah, thanks, Helen. So the second question is, does such a refuge exist? And sort of a supplementary question is, what is its nature? So who would like to respond? Yeah, right behind you, Helen. Um, Please say your name, too. Rob, as I'm sitting here, I had more of a feeling sense response to that. So is there a refuge? I'm sitting here, and I can be tired or hard or effortful, and then I used the word kind, kindness, and it felt like a redirect to a refuge. Um, so that felt like I was experiencing uh, use of refuge. Alternatively, if I want to go home and have three or four beers tonight, which I'm not going to do. What was that last thing you said? Which I'm not going to do. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I've been known to do. You're on record now. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, obviously, in that case, I might feel, no, this is what I really want. This is who I am. And it's that case, it's not as it's not easy to recognize that that's not refuge the same way I'm recognizing the redirecting while I'm sitting here that is refuge. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. So does such a refuge exist? So assuming that we agree that we need this in this world, there is a need for refuge. Does such a refuge exist? What might its nature be? Maybe one or two more people. Marianne, you want to go? Oh, oh go ahead, Mary, Mary. and then okay. Marianne. Uh, I just wanted to share that, uh, well, there are many ways I experience refuge, but tonight, rather than going home after work, I chose to come here, and um, the flavor of that really was to, to connect <coughs> to just the generosity and kindness of this community. Yeah, thanks. When I think about um, refuge, Mark, I think about... Um, the values that I have um, identified as being important to me. And I've been pretty aware of them since probably my 20s. And so whenever I get off, you know, when, I'm, when I don't have a rudder, I can look at my behavior and I can go back and, like, look and see if my behavior is matching the values, the things that I have chosen to help me create this structure for my life. And... What I know is that when I am in integrity, that I have calmness and peace, and, and I'm okay. Things out there may not be okay, but I'm okay. I kind of want to get it right. So I'm going to say it's either Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and it's um, kindness, appreciative joy, equanimity and uh, compassion, but if I, if I, I'm going to describe a personal way I perceive it as coming into being, and that would be um, having the mind, the purpose, the plan, the intention, and having that greet a moment that dissolves it. So the moment, so I would say the ultimate reference Refuge is probably the present moment, and that the way we arrive in the present moment, in the, in the way our breathing functions for that arrival, and our bodies and our relaxation would be almost like arriving at greeting intention with no intention. Yeah. Thanks, Anne. And this is a, you know, the kind of conversation we just had and listening to each other in this way. 
This is just in a very direct way, not like trying to get the answer as Anne was sort of kidding about at the beginning of her response. <laughs> okay, you got the right answer. <laughs> but, but just uh, just to be really interested in like, like tuning into the need for refuge. Right? Like, in a sense, allowing ourselves to be frightened. It's useful to be frightened by the possibility of falling into a hell realm, right? I mean, it's relatively easy to do stupid things. Has anybody not done stupid things that ended up with you being in a hell realm in a really difficult space for a while, right? So what protects us from doing those so-called stupid things that lead you know, to a divorce or lead to a job loss or lead to humiliation or lead to ruining relationships that really matter to you, that contribute to suffering that you feel then later remorseful because you were not responsible, not caring, and it hurts. So what refuge will protect us as this human being lives their life, all the twists and turns, what's worthy to place our heart upon as a guide, as a rudder. Here's a definition that um, this Western Buddhist monk has for refuge. He says, it's a conscious act of will, which is, I was trying to, Make that point. He, it goes on and on, but so. But this first point is really important. Like, it, there's an engagement. It isn't something that, like, an edifice that we sort of lash or tie ourselves to. Okay, I've got my refuge. I, I have my island. I have my post in the ground that I'm tied to. But it's an active or a conscious act of will directed toward liberation. Right, so that's this is this sort of constant tweaking because what is liberation? <laughs> right, we're f- sort of figuring it out as we go. What liberation is? It's like uh, another way we say this in terms of the, the Buddhist practice is that part of what we're having, or the main thing we're having insight into as we practice, is what the path is. We think we're on the path, and yeah, in a way we're on the path, but the path is clarifying the path, what the path is. Because it always initially seems like I'm walking, I'm going somewhere. Well, that radically changes as we walk the path, that idea of what the path is. So uh, conscious act of will directed toward liberation, right? So we're move in the rudder, based on knowledge. So as even as we navigate our path, right, we're learning a few things. And I go, oh, that wasn't the way. You know, seeking comfort, seeking wealth, seeking, you know, your praise or something like that, seeking praise from other people, recognition from other people. You know, eventually we learn the limitations of those things. It doesn't mean that they're not nice. It's just not ultimately a refuge that's worth much. And inspired by faith. So that's really the engine or the energy comes from faith. Right? It's that inspiration is allows us to make that conscious act of will directed toward liberation based on knowledge and inspired by faith. And this conscious act of will is really like a willingness to participate in karma, in a world that is governed by karma, by cause and effect. So, like, giving up is a karmic act. Whatever we do is going to be a karmic act. 
you know, as long as there's a rudder, we're going somewhere. Where? We're going to either go in circles or this way and that way. Or so to not want there to be a rudder or to not want our life to matter doesn't make it not matter. So as long as we're in this embodied state with a mind that has intention, then w- the rational, the sort of wise thing to do is to own it, to sort of take responsibility for the life that's being lived, for the way it is. Which means that as long as we live in a world governed by cause and effect, and part of the innumerable causes, right, this web of causality, this interdependent net network of causes and conditions, were in this world of a conditional, a very complex conditional unfolding, and inevitably, unavoidably, the card we have to play is our moment-to-moment intention. The way we show up, the way the mind relates, the kind of intentions that are there in every moment. Now we might get to the point, like Anne was suggesting with her comment of, uh, I forget exactly how you said it, Anne, but being free of intention, something like that. Right? That, yeah, that might that might unfold, like as we do this practice, we might start having some intuition, some intuition, aspiration, and intention to be in the world, to be a human being with a life, with a body, with responsibilities, but somehow not, maybe I'll change the language a little, not burdened by intention not weighed down by intention, right? Because that, that's kind of Buddhisty, <laughs> right? And it's better than saying no intention, although it's not necessarily incorrect, but it can, because we can imagine not having intention when there's still intention, because we don't want it. You know, this is, there's a real shadow, especially in Buddhist practice, of like pretending that we're not an intentional creature. Well, it's just stuff happening. You know, and, and sort of not owning that we're part of what's unfolding here. We're contributing, we're complicit in everything. But there is a way to be free in this conditional unfolding. And that deeper refuge will clarify as we get interested in refuge. Right? We don't, it's like so many things in life, we wouldn't expect that we're going to nail it, you know, in, in the first quiz, the first Buddhist quiz when you're asked, like, what's your refuge, you know, that we're going to get it. I mean, we might get the words right, but to really understand what the heart can put its heart, uh, what the heart feels safe resting in, turning toward, letting go into, or however we might language it, we won't. We're going to make a lot of mistakes in terms of what we take refuge in. Probably very shortly, like when you go home and you're trying to take care of yourself, you may take refuge in all kinds of things that don't ultimately help make you a happier, safer, whatever human being. Maybe I'll eat a little bit more. <laughs> and maybe that will be my refuge. No, definitely, definitely not working. A conscious act of will. So there are these four parts. So there's uh, engagement, right? We're purposefully engaging the world of causality, cause and effect. We're a karmic being. We're willing to play the cards we have, right? Which is to, we can intend, we can aim, we can, so we're we're not just doing it randomly, we're taking responsibility for where we're aiming, where we're going. Directed toward liberation, so you could just substitute 
our deepest value for the word liberation because that's a, you know, he's a Buddhist monk. He's using, you know, the terminology, awakening, liberation. But we can be a little bit more humble and just say, well, whatever values, value I trust in this moment most. And maybe for you in a moment, there really is a sense of liberation, being, being free, being intimate with the conditional unfolding of our lives, but free. Maybe that's your aspiration. And then you, then you get to use the word liberation or freedom, right? Because that would be free to be a human being with responsibilities, with a life, with a body, with a society that we're responsible for and to not be burdened with that engagement. That's a, that would, that's a beautiful vision of freedom. That's a beautiful aspiration. But until we really have an intuitive sense of what that feels like, looks like in our mind and heart, it's a philosophical idea. Right? It exists as kind of a mental construct. But it's a nice mental construct, right? So it's nice to play with that. But in terms of our actual practice, we might want something a little bit more uh, visceral and something we're more familiar with, like the experience of the heart being at ease, right? Or the, uh, an authentic experience of goodness, kindness, that we probably all have touched in moments, maybe hopefully even regularly, you know, almost every day, where there's a more natural, trustworthy, pervasive sense of gentleness, kindness, tenderness, for its own sake, not, not like a strategic move by the ego to be kind or to be generous, but just a, a really trustworthy quality of the heart or mind based on knowledge so we're we're on purpose learning from our mistakes like all the ways all the ways we've taken refuge that didn't work some of us back in the day took refuge in youthful vigor right until we got not youthful anymore or whatever, where you could just sort of push yourself in a way that you sort of can't do when you get a little bit older. Or even that clarity of mind that we once had. So that obviously wasn't a refuge if if turned out not to be dependable. So we're accumulating knowledge, right? We're we don't mind when we make mistakes because that's valuable knowledge. Okay, that didn't work. That wasn't a real refuge. That turned out not to be dependable. Okay, keep it close at hand, right? That's the knowledge, based on knowledge and inspired by faith. That's where we were a few minutes ago, you know, where we, I was dissecting like being in the world but not burdened by the world, right? So, this is like borrowed faith. We hear about the Buddha, or we hear about somebody who's really inspiring us, like how they are as a human being in the messy world. I mean, we have some examples of these people who are in really difficult circumstances, but seem to be very alive, very engaged, not burden, not weighed down by the difficult circumstances they were navigating, they were participating in, showing up for, really coming alive in the difficulty of human existence. And seems like they're happy or full. You know, their heart is full, alive, full, not burdened by the difficulties. Maybe you only see it in moments in a person. And you know, we never know because some of these people that would naturally come to mind in this way would be like celebrities, like the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa or, you know, (laughs) Aung San Suu Kyi, the leader in Burma, Miramar, 
you know, used to be one of those people, but now she's getting a lot of bad press. So then it's like, well, it's like that's the betrayal because right now this, what's inspiring us isn't really ours yet, right? It's sort of some, maybe some intuition, some qualities we've seen in our own mind and heart, some we imagine are in another person, or some that we just imagine are possible, but we don't even know anybody. I mean, we have stories like of the Buddha or somebody like that, but we really don't know, right? Because we weren't there. The person's not here. So it's, but there's, it kind of, it can awaken in us something, right? Just the imagining. That's the energy of inspiration. Like there's some intuition that this might be possible. Enough of an inspiration to check it out, which is, brings us back to a conscious act of will. We take responsibility for having the hand on the rudder, right? And we aim our life. Okay, where are we going to go today? It's not about just getting to work and doing my job or having a civil conversation with my partner before I leave for work or, you know, doing, you know, looking for work if I don't have work or whatever it might be. It's really like all of that mundane stuff of being a human being is in the service of refuge or aspiration. Because we all know that just doing one more day at work or having one more conversation with a partner or feeding the cat one more time or emptying the garbage, as nice as that might be, as purposeful as that might be, nobody thinks emptying the garbage is an ultimate refuge for one's life or going to work today or you know, taking a bath or brushing your teeth or going to see a good movie. These might be nice things to do, appropriate things to do, but it's not a refuge. So what is the point? Some of you maybe read that book that, uh, what was his name, Frankel, uh, Victor Frankel, is that right? Yeah. Search for Mino, yeah, yeah. And he wrote this book after you know being a Holocaust survivor and then a psychotherapist, I think he was before the war and then after the war, about like, well, what, what is it that keeps us putting one foot in front of the, the next, living our life, choosing to keep living? And this is really what this class is about. What is our refuge? And that's taking responsibility for like aiming in that direction and complete liberation of the heart, unshakable release, or one of our current contemporary translators, uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, a wonderful Buddhist scholar and practitioner, unprovoked awareness release is one way he translates this goal, or he often translates Nibbana, Nirvana, as the unbinding of the heart unbinding, the releasing of what is there to be released, greed, anger, and delusion. So we need to take up these. I'll send this out in the email tomorrow once I have everyone's email address. So you can really get interested in each of these four, conscious act of will, hand on the rudder, aiming, directed toward liberation, so we're clarifying, we're experimenting, what is the deepest value based on knowledge, we're learning from our mistakes, we're learning from what happens, and we're also learning from each other, inspired, sensing like how this person has changed their life, has moved their life, have, has actually become a different person. You're not the person I used to know. What have you been doing? How has this change come about? You're lighter, you're freer, you're happier, you're more easeful, your mind is more clear. What are you doing? What are you up to? Right? This is what we see. This is what sometimes people see when they show up to Kamgan. Not that we're all, you know, we're, we are who we are, but you know, generally speaking, there's, there comes to be a vibe in a place like Common Ground that maybe is just slightly different than 
the general vibe out on the streets. Like, oh yeah, people, people seem generally to be kind, generally to be more spacious, more resilient. Not so fixed in their views, although, you know, clearly we don't live up to these values, but just valuing these values is beautiful, isn't it? You know, being able to articulate these values, and that's the inspiration, that's the fourth thing, which allows us to make a conscious act of will. It's a brave thing to, you know, we can be boohooed in so many ways. You wouldn't go to a dinner party, a cocktail party, and say, I have a refuge. (laughs) You know, I have a deep aspiration for this life. I mean, certain circles, but in the sort of, you know, it's interesting how in a lot of our, I'm not sure how to characterize it, but just in some circles, it's like not cool to have a purpose. Isn't that interesting? Because what is the opposite, as I mentioned before? And just notice how you are in more public spaces about refuge, about purpose and aspiration, and how you don't talk about it, or if you do talk about it, how you talk about, you know, how you make it sort of acceptable. Because, you know, I mean, hopefully this doesn't offend people, but I think generally speaking, in certain circles, you know, there's, it's like there's nothing worse than being a fundamentalist. Except a fundamentalist about being a non-fundamentalist. You know, it's like being an atheist or being a secular humanist, as if that's not a fixed view. So it's like we can't avoid, like your religion might be, or somebody's religion might be, to sort of, it doesn't matter. I have... I believe in the God of it doesn't matter. It's all just, you know, you're born, you live, and then you die. It doesn't matter. But that's somebody's belief system. That and their aspiration, their refuge is somehow going to come out of that. So let's, let's, at least as a community of people taking this class, with as much commitment, as much engagement as we can muster in our busy lives, Let's put this on the table, you know, and bring it out into the light of day in our conversation, small group, big group conversations, our study at home, or meditation practice. Let's bring this out. Like, what am I doing? What's important? Am I somehow making that conscious act of will to move in that direction, to aim in that direction? And um, am I actually going in the direction I aspire to go in? You know, is, it, is that direction based on what my life has taught me and what those around me are teaching me? Where can I find inspiration? What gets me out of my box so that I'm, I, can, I have the energy to keep showing up? and not falling into the real trap of complacency, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, like Zinzele was saying, you know, the, the basic wholesome thing of just surviving based on holding some skillful routines together, like a life raft, getting ourselves through the day. We have our routines. I talk to these people because I trust these people at work, I eat at these places because I, you know, they charge a fair price and they're good people and the food's clean, you know. And we try to like create these islands that are safe enough and we leap from one to the next, right, and to the next. But it's always precarious because those islands can disappear or they can change, they can get corrupted. It used to be a good place. That person used to be a good friend or that, you know, but then it isn't anymore because things change. So as I mentioned, I'll send out an email with Yana Panika Tara's article, the link, and uh, this quote that I've been reading tonight. 
And I sent out a couple books already in the email. But some of you registered for the class, so I have your email there, but you're not in the Google group for the Buddhist studies, which is quite large. Remember, you can always unsubscribe to the Buddhist studies Google group. But it'd be nice to get everybody who's taking the class in that Google group. So that means if you register, because a lot of people registered are already in the Google group, so I can't just put all those people in. It'd be really time-consuming. So I would like for all the new people who haven't been in a Buddhist studies class at all, or it's been like more than three or four years since you've been in the Buddhist studies class, to send me an email tomorrow, if you would, and then I'll get you in the Google group. And my email address, if you don't know it, is mark at commongroundmeditation.org. The email address on the website is info at commongroundmeditation.org. Just change info to mark, and it will come to me directly, and then I'll get you in the Google group. And then you can already go to the website because it's under the resources on the webpage. Um, and there's some readings there. And the two books that we'll be using for people who want a more substantial text, one, more contemporary version of The Three Refuges written by Tara Brock, IS Moon Palace Books, a wonderful independent bookseller just about five blocks south on Minnehaha Avenue. They're going to have some of these books available 20% off for people in the Buddhist studies. Just let them know when you get it. And they'll just keep reordering it. So they may run out if a lot of you want to get it. So you might want to call. And in the email today, I had the phone number there. So you could call to make sure. The other book by Tanisaro Bhikkhu um, is called Refuge. This book is available online for free. You can download the digital copy of it. You could just get your own copy of it from the monastery, um, and it's just Wat Metta, and you can just, uh, you'll find this if you just Google Tani Saro, and I have the link in the email I sent today to everybody who's on the email list, and I'll resend that content tomorrow when I you have time to give me an email so that everybody's in the Google group. And then just a few more things, uh, nuts and bolts, about the um, Buddhist studies. Um, there is a prerequisite that people have done three Buddhist awareness retreats of some sort. doesn't matter the length. It's just an arbitrary prerequisite because we want people who are practicing, not just people who are interested in studying. So... If you haven't done three retreats, just check in with me. We'll find, and you're really interested in doing it, well, you can do three retreats. And I'll talk to you about how you can do that and take the class. But uh, it, isn't for, it isn't really appropriate for people to be in the class if they're not interested in doing meditation practice. So we want people to be studying to some degree. Some of you will do more than others. We want people to be practicing meditation, if not every day, almost every day. And we want people who are willing to share with each other. So every other week, we have small groups. They're not optional. So if you're taking the class, when you're here on the even days, you stay for the small groups. Now, if you take this class, that means you're committed to being here, unless you have a business trip or a family obligation. So it's okay. You don't need to feel guilty about missing. But it's not okay to miss because you don't want to be here. So if you sign up, then you come unless you have some obligation that's not appropriate to break. And then you just come when you can. And that's okay. Even if it's like you can only make half the sessions. We really want people to come. We just don't want people to be loose about it. Like, oh, I'll come because I want to come. Or I'll come when they don't have the small groups. That's not okay. And then I want to thank um, Steve, who's doing the recording. We'll have the talk. So if you do miss a session, Steve do, does the recording. He sends it to, I don't know if it's Kevin who does the Buddhist studies or is it Andre who does the Buddhist studies? Yeah. So then we have people like Kevin and Andre and a few others who then put these up on the website so that they're available. So thanks to all of you who make that happen. And then you can listen to the talks um, later if you can't be here in person. Or just you may want to re-listen or use some of the guided meditations. But keep that in mind in terms of the open discussions we have in this room when 
whole group discussions, they do get recorded. That's why we use the mic both to hear you, but also because it's recorded. So, and they're up on the web for anybody who wants to listen to. So uh, keep that in mind when you share. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.